born, my name is Heather Lee. I'm not in charge here. I wasn't here when you went missing. I can see you going through the old Treadstone files. Retracing your history. I know you're looking for something. Let me help you find it. We're here with Matt Damon, with Paul Greengrass and with Frank Marshall uh, discussing Jason Bourne. I just want to tell you one very quick story. I'm a stand-up comedian uh, by trade. The, uh, and there's a tiny joke, like a throwaway joke that I have in a tour that I've been doing recently. And the whole story is about booking holidays for your family and you're online doing it. But there's a drawer that you have in every family home that has all of the passports for your family and the dregs of currency of every holiday you've gone on the last 10 years. And every time I open that drawer, I look in just for a second, I'm Jason Bourne. Uh, and that has got a laugh in England, Ireland, <laughs> Scandinavia, across Europe. Everywhere I do that line, everyone recognises that trope of, I got a stash of passports and some currency. And they recognise it as, your f- like, I'm not, you know, I'm a comic. I've, tr- I've wondered about using other films to replace that yeah. thing. People get Jason Bourne as a thing. It's awesome. one of those things that you have created a really identifiable series of movies. And this is, a, a perfect example of the, the movie done at the moment, like whatever. How deliberate was that? Like, we'll start with something like the, the stash of passwords, which other people have stolen now, the, the, the identities on the run, like whatever. I mean, how much of that was in Robert Ludlum's books? How much yeah, of that was in what you created? That's in Robert Ludlum. I mean, and that's the, 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 the that trope, the, the reason it, it gets introduced into the franchise is because at the moment he finds the bag of passports and cash and a gun, he has no idea who he is. Right. So he's he 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 opens up a safety deposit box and that's what he's confronted with. So, yeah, I mean, so. Yeah, but even in this film, in which he knows who he is to a, to a huge extent than ever, there's still a shot thrown in of him fanning through a series of passports, which is almost like an echo back to that. Like whatever. That was a, a deliberate homage to this. Oh, or like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a great it's a great moment. You want you've always got to remind people that Bourne doesn't know who he is. And there he is with his stash of passports. So it stands as much for that, like whatever, that this is, it's a search for identity, not just the machinery of being a spy, but it's also him. Well, it's both, but yeah, but it's much more, I think, the identityless man, you know, which I think is what is at the heart of the character. Yeah. Every, th- every one of the movies, there, there has to be a deeply personal drive for the character. There's something deeply emotional and personal for him to figure out, um, and it's always revolving around identity. Okay, the um, I'll pick another trope you have: improvised fights, fights in which you just grab something off a shelf and hit somebody with it. The uh, we're used to a slick level of polish in our spy movies, and I, it always seems like this run under as an undercurrent how different is how much you've you've rewritten how spy movies are made. Like, but the improvised fights—that's you know—it's a rolled-up magazine in one. Why has that become? Is that a fun thing to do? Is it more fun to do? It actually started just. Practically, on you know, we had a demonstration, a martial arts demonstration, and these guys were moving between different types of of styles to show us, right? So we were trying to figure out what Bourne would fight like, and I was there with Doug Lyman, um, who directed the first one, and and as they moved through this stuff, they got into this thing called Kali, which is what we ended up doing, which is just very brutal and direct and efficient and and uh, and exactly what we were looking for. And so I, I, I did that for about six months before we started shooting. And in the course of conversations with this guy who was teaching me, he was teaching me all these disarms and he was teaching me all these strikes. And he goes, you know, if you have something in your hand, 
you know, a knife. And he goes, but really anything sharp, you know, like a pen. And I said, wait, hang on, what did you say? And he said, like a pen. He goes, this would all work with a pen. And he grabbed a pen and he started to show me. And so I called Doug and I said, I, I you know, have this idea. And Doug loved it. And he also loved, I think, that it was playing against James Bond in a way. Yeah. Right? Because Bond always has a gadget. He's got the perfect thing at the perfect moment. And Bourne is the exact opposite. He never does. He's just got to pick up whatever's there. And he's got to use household objects to, um, and as you say, improvise with them. Um, but that's where it, it came from, just out of the research. We wanted the character to be real and no gadgets and no fantasy. And uh, that's that other movie. And uh, taking everyday objects wherever he could find them. Uh, in the in the second movie, the rolled up um, uh, magazine, magazine that yeah. he put, you know, it's also clever. It's spyware. It's all, but it's it's real. And what these guys would do, and I think ha- using the the book, the magazine, the chair leg. Now, all of those things you are believable, and people want to see that in I, this character. Do you look around for them now? Do you look around for... You do, you do. I mean, I think it's interesting the way the character's evolved. He has changed. I mean, he's the same character, but he has changed for sure, I'd say, since the first one. I was struck. I mean, on one level, because they were all so much younger when they started, (laughs) so was I when I started. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, Doug Lyman, who made Identity with Frank and Matt, he doesn't get the credit for for... He was really the guy who understood that you could take this Ludlam character and twist him the other way and make him a sort of a representative of the us against them. And that was a sort of fundamental thing that got Jason Bourne running as a character. I think what we then did with, or it felt like what we did with Supremacy and Ultimatum was turn that character and make him more iconic. And he became more a sort of avatar of of the us and against them as opposed to just you've, a guy in that situation you've actually got to pull back from ever, him ever being a superhero you know from from him being bulletproof you know you want the man injured you want the man aching that's sort of part of the the quasi realism of it all isn't it that's a, yeah I mean certainly I mean, it's hard though it's hard it is a superhero movie yeah. basically right so but so it's 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 hard to yeah I mean and that's why I end up so battered by the end of these things because I mean but in a real world, that's but yeah, it's kind of like a superhero movie where the airbags go off. Exactly, that's exactly it. And yeah. so, to answer your question, that I think one of the things when Frank talks about, you know, we wanted realism. It, the point is, you put that character, but you surround him with all the accoutrements of airbags, chair legs, pens in his hand, all that stuff. Equally, you don't put him in the sort of Paris of the Eiffel Tower. You put him in the grungy back streets or the back streets of Waterloo, and all that creates a rub, a rub between the sort of the heroic Jason Bourne and the mean streets that he walks in. And and that, when you've got a summer full of the big movies with the Supermans and the Batmans and all the rest of it, he then looks very fresh because it's a different... It's not, I'm not saying he's better or worse, it's just it's a different thing and I think that's why audiences like the Bourne movies. Another trope I hear is car chases with crappy cars. Yeah, he he, yeah. D- he doesn't end up in the Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, but he always uses what he has and and finds what's advantageous about you know if it's a Mini Cooper then he'll take it down the stairs and you know because it can fit down the narrow alleyway and if it's the Russian Volga he uses it as a battering ram and uses the weight of the car to his advantage and 
Um, and that's what I, I love, and I think what people love about uh, the character. Certainly, what I love about it is is just the his intelligence and those and those high speed decisions he's making in real time. And uh, he's always doing the smarter thing, and that's always fun to see in movies. It's the characters that are smarter than we are. Without uh, presupposing the uh, no, made by no, people who are less smart, <laughs> made yeah, by people who are vastly less smart. <laughs> no, but no one is. No one is. This, come on, Jason. Boy, for for all that we make it realistic and the man can hurt like whatever, he is. He's incredibly fast. He's always one step ahead. Like whatever. There's no trap in which that you know. That's one of the things that he's. It's like there's there's always a double twist, or it certainly seems to be that he can't get caught out because he's he's one step ahead because of the nature of his training. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the. Listen, the truth about the Bourne franchise is we're sort of welterweights, we're middleweights compared to the true heavyweights of the franchise landscape. Yeah, and I'm talking in terms of resources. And that allows you to... We're we're a big movie, but we're not a giant big movie. But we've got to compete. I think the USP of Bourne is the sequences where you're working with the the sort of Bourne's thought process, his intelligence, his, his... working out what he's going to do and the audience following that and alternately being with him knowing what he's going to do or not knowing what he's going to do and being surprised, you know, and that gives you, that's the way you make a Bourne sequence. Presumably also it's, you have more freedom because you're not guiding a, a, like a tanker with its slow, like... Well, you are, it's just a slightly less big tanker. <laughs> it's like Waterloo Station. I mean, people love that sequence yeah, because they, they just get a huge kick out of what he's doing there, and it's all up here. Yeah, but there's also now that we spend a lot of time in Waterloo Station, staring <laughs> at those boards like that is. You <laughs> literally could have chosen the best way for Londoners with all now. But I wouldn't give for an assassination right now <laughs> just to alleviate the boredom of sitting in Waterloo Station. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a topicality as well to them. Tragic you, that a Guardian reporter met his demise. Well, isn't it? Isn't it? The, uh, the, the platform for this. Making them very much, they're very linked to you, the Guardian, now, because you killed one of them in one of their movies. And let they, will they ever give you a bad review again? And we had Alan Rusbridger in it as the editor, briefly. Yeah. <laughs> or an Alan Rusbridger lookalike. <laughs> the, uh, you also have top, you, and you have further topical reference in this. You know, you, you mentioned Snowden by name yep. in this thing. That was I- important to you, or does that feel that's something you should do quite lightly? in terms of bringing these things in, these stories change? Well, we always want them to feel like they're kind of ripped from the headlines, that the, you know, each of these movies should feel like it, it should be identifiable in the year that it's made. And you know, the central argument of our time is this issue of, of privacy versus security, and, you know, and, and that's the big public debate that really needs to happen. We, you know, the technology is moving so quickly, and these world is changing so fast and the implications of you know are so huge when it comes to our civil liberties that we have to try to figure this out and and um and and that's the world we're living in and that's what's different about the world we're in now than 10 years ago when we made the born ultimatum um and uh and so we we definitely wanted the film to feel you know it's look it's a big entertaining summer movie but but you know what people like about them i think is that it feels like it's it's in, in the world we're all living in today. It has a signature visual style, of course. That fast cut, mm-hmm. the, uh, that you know, very kinetic, very close-up kind of a style that you've brought to it. This, that has specific demands, presumably, in terms of how things are shot. Is it? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. It's, 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 but you've got to make it so you understand what's happening. You know, I mean, 
I've seen plenty of films where you see sort of blizzards of fast cuts and it's all, and you've done a really, you sort of vaguely know what's happening, but you don't really know. I think there's a world of difference between that and being eye level as you move through a sequence so you're with all the characters and you understand every move. That's... Well, yeah, you're definitely... That's, like, that's if, the hope, anyway. I, I call it planned chaos. Yeah. I mean, if there's, if there's a spectrum between a Transformers movie, a Michael Bay type movie, and Ronin, uh, where they actually had a shot of each gear change they made as the cars were driving around Marseille, you're definitely in the stage of, of it being realistic. They, uh, this is very yeah. important in how you do it. Oh, that's the intent. I mean, you spend a lot of time marshalling that, you know, to make sure that you do understand it. Is it more difficult that kind of like the, that than shooting? I mean, like I, I, you don't you would do superhero movies really. You've not really you've, you've sort of stepped away from or donning a cape uh, hasn't really been your thing. The, uh, but yeah, is this never, never had to put on the cape? In no. the distant past, it did. But no, but now as a mature uh, artist, the uh, it's gone. This is is it is it a particularly exhausting thing to do, or is it slower if you do this kind of style of movie? No, it's exhilarating working with Paul. I mean, it's really, really, really fun. Um, you know, he, because he comes out of journalism, and 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 so it's 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 very difficult. People try to ape it, and they can't quite pull it off because it, it's it's tough to capture these things that look like they're thrown away. Um, but it's a mentality that the camera operator has to have, as if they're filming a, a real a, tr- a real event, but you're staging the event, um, and so it's very difficult to make that look uh, real. But that's what that's what. Paul does better than anybody. You've uh, come from a background of doing uh, Bloody Sunday, uh, using United 93, and you have used filmmaking techniques to get across the tension and uh, of those real-life events. And there are tragic events, but they're still filmed in a way uh, in which it is, you feel the same adrenaline Mm -hmm. for a second, but it's it's for a very different purpose. When you're making that versus making a Bourne film, do you make different choices in terms of how to create that tension in an audience when you know that this is actually chronicling a, a real event rather than... Uh, or, can you do more with Bourne? Are the things you do with Bourne that would feel, you'd feel guilty about well, doing? they're different. They're different. You know, one is entertainment. Uh, by the way, that, that's not less. You know, it's a, it, one of the joys of, of making bigger movies is the the joy of learning that you can entertain people and that's all right. I think I was quite uncomfortable with that actually. You know, I come from from World in Action and from a you know, which is itself, you know, the name is John came from John Greer's and it's right the roots of the British documentary social realist tradition, which is, you know, a very, very strong tradition in Britain. And I found that an odd transition. The the transition to entertainment but once I got there which I never planned actually I found it a privilege it's a privilege to to make films that people really love you know it really is it's 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 so you you approach them with the same seriousness and purpose but it's clearly different to doing a film like Bloody Sunday or United 93 where that's a sort of I mean, well, I would say they're different in the sense that one's you're trying to entertain, the other you're trying to tease out some some complexity in what you see in the world. But but the the join is that I'm interested in the way that the world works, and the truth about the world is it's always in action without 
meaning that to be trite, the world, you know, world is in action. It's always contested between those who have the power and those that don't, and there's a rub and a tension between the two. And every filmmaker has their purpose and their little brick that they can put in the wall, and that's my little brick. And I always say to myself, whether it's a Bourne movie or a United 93, I want this to reflect in its way the way I see the world. And that's if it's true to that then I've done my job. You know, that's the little thing that I can do. Because at its heart, you're, you're using the same techniques to create the same shortness of breath in an audience member, but sometimes it comes... Yeah, I mean, that's tick, isn't it? All directors have a tick, yeah. a tempo, and that's mine. You know, I'm, 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 I, I don't come from an art house tradition. The World in Action was an ITV primetime show, you know? Frank, you've worked on some of the great franchises... Um, but he's in the Raiders uh, or Back to the Future. How, where does Bourne fit into all into that canon? Oh, uh, Bourne's right at the top of the list for me because it is. We become such a family, you know. To get I, I, you know, seeing everybody in the hallway just now is wonderful, and I think we have a way of working together that is so collaborative and creative. It's exciting to be in. Uh, Paddington, yeah, we were in Paddington, and and it it may be written and it may, but it's Matt's got an idea. What if I went around here and Paul's saying, well, if you went over that bridge, and we're saying, well, how can we create a distraction here? And then we came up with, well, how about fire alarms? And then people, all of that was create. It's so much fun, and we have that on the. In particular to this franchise, I don't do that in any of the others. They're all written and we do what they say on the page. This is free form and it's exciting and exhilarating. That's fantastic. You've done Waterloo, you've done Paddington. So King's Cross, <laughs> King's Cross is very busy. We got, uh, we got to the end of Supremacy and we and the last shot was in Goa in India. We were on a beach. Do you remember? It must have been a scene with you. It was like coming up to dawn. You've done a night shoot, a whole bunch of nights. And I was sitting next to Frank. I felt absolutely fucked after whatever, 100 and odd days of shooting. I sat down next to you. You probably don't remember it. I said, I don't know how you do this. I mean, I couldn't do this. He said, well, I started in about the first one I really remember. (laughs) 50 of these enormous films. I thought, Oh my God, <laughs> how do you do that? That was unreal. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.